Okay, thank you very much. It's a great honor to be here. Shkoyach to the Anhala. I'd like to give thanks to the one who invited me here, the Anhala Gashmi, Shlomi Greenwald. He asked me to come and share some of my experiences and perhaps enlighten and answer some questions and bring to light some issues that maybe have not been discussed uh, by many. It's important to start off by saying that as a mile, you know, we go around to different communities, different homes, different individuals, and every bris almost has a story for itself. Every parent, they have their fears, they have their questions, they have their doubts. And you have to be there to support them and to give them the proper approach and turn this into a great celebration. I just want to bring one story that I think would be a good way of starting. It was not long ago I was called to a bris, seemed like a regular bris, an eight-day-old, but it was quite unique and very emotional. It's because this eight-day-old, happy camper, I happened to have done his father as well. So he was there and he was satisfied and he was thankful. And I happened to have done his grandfather as well. And to make things even more excited, I did his great-grandfather. Not trying to give away my age, but I'm just trying to express the fact that this mitzvah is unique. I mean, they come from a place that try to oppress the practice of the mitzvah. Did not allow any mayalim to perform, and therefore, for generations, this family did not have a proper bris. When the opportunity came and they were able to do it, they did it. Now, are they fully observant? I don't know. And some of them are not yet probably fully observant. But this mitzvah is so unique that regardless of their level of observance, they do this by Messiris Nefesh. And being part of it, actually you feel and you can experience that. You see the element of Messiris Nefesh. It's one of the greatest mitzvahs. It's actually the first mitzvah given to Avraham Avinu, the first of our fathers. It is a mitzvah that's done at every child, the first mitzvah that he experiences. It's the foundation. To become a Yid, you have to go through this mitzvah, so it's essential. And it reaches into the neshama, and therefore, regardless of other type of expressions and behavior, this is the mitzvah they choose to do, although it is not the easiest. And the question... and, and the fact is that by being in such an environment, you could see and, and express and feel what it says in the Gemara, that other mitzvahs may not be done. There'll be a time when maybe they'll be lacking in performing of tefillin. But one mitzvah, which is the mitzvah of Mila, they will, it will endure. They will do it. And the reason given is, again, it was given by Rabbi Shimon, Ben Gamliel, he says, because this mitzvah is done besimcha, and every mitzvah, this mitzvah that was accepted before by the Yidin besimcha, so it'll endure even in times when it would be difficult. And that is because in addition to doing the mitzvah, which is difficult, there's a simcha, there's a party, there's a celebration. And another, Rabbi Shimon Ben Eliezer says that this mitzvah was accepted by Mesiris Nefesh. 
It's done by Maseris Nefesh, it was followed by Maseris Nefesh. So therefore, it will endure, although it's not logical that this is the one that people choose when they don't do any other mitzvahs. But because they've accepted it by Maseris Nefesh, it endures. And, and when you're part of it, you can experience this. People doing this mitzvah, hard to explain, but you see the faith and you see the excitement and you see the fear and the joy all at once. It is also important that, to know that this mitzvah has been challenged through history. All through the times, whenever they wanted to clamp down on the performance of the mitzvahs, they would choose mitzvah milah and they would say, oh, you're harming the child and you could not do that. And sometimes it was punishable um, for the mild, for the parents. And still, the mysterious nefesh, we did it when it was able to. And in fact, one of the minhagim that we have to put candles at a bris is because when it was prohibited, you wanted people to know where there's a bris and where to come quietly and celebrate, they would put candles on the window. That would be an indication that there's a bris going on. So today as well, I know some people know about it, some people don't, but I always try to emphasize Whoever has a bris should bring candles. There is in Shulchan Aruch, it's brought down that you should have candles lit as part of the celebration. It's also brought down in Pirkei Drabeleza that we say, twice. And clearly says that once goes on Dam Mila, Bishchus Dam Mila, Nigalu Avesenu Mimitzraim, and Bishchus Dam Mila, so the power of this mitzvah milah, this chus of the mitzvah milah, gave us the ability to leave Mitzrayim the first galus. And it is in the chus of this mitzvah that we will be exiting this galus as well. So the challenges of been there and the chus of Mila will be the one that will bring us the ultimate redemption. Now the question is, Yes, we've had challenges in the past. Do we have challenges today, freedom of religion? And in fact, not long ago, there was in California a proposal to ban Miller. Wanted to have it on the ballot. And I was phone called by some reporters, you know, what are we gonna do about it? And I said, I don't think there's a problem. Uh, we're never gonna stop. And we, this is not the first time that they tried banning Mila, so there's not, no real concern to such a challenge. In fact, we're not the only ones. The Muslims do, you know, Mila, and I think the United Front, it would never pass, and that's what really happened. It was struck down, it never passed, never made mustard. But the challenge that we have now for Mila is even greater than those of the past. And there are challenges now that are unlike any challenge we had before. And that is because the challenge is not direct. If it would be a direct challenge, we miss his nefesh every year, regardless whether he's observant, non-observant, he knows that mitzvah milah has to be done. But the challenge that we have now is an indirect challenge. And sometimes it's challenge because of lack of knowledge. And that's a greater challenge than just standing up and saying, no, we're gonna do this because this is who we are. And I want to bring out here three points, three challenges that I feel are very important to bring to light. And I think that we can have a discussion here because I'm sure some of those 
facts may not be even known. And I'm going to start with the challenge that I know many, it lately seems to be even more than before, many individuals from completely observant decide that they're delaying the breast, they're not doing it at all, just because the doctor said that there's a condition that needs to be taken care of with surgery, perhaps some months later. So therefore, the doctor suggests not to do circumcision because that would hinder the, the surgery later. And that causes them not to do a breast because they were advised by the pediatrician, by the urologist, not to do the breast. Now, it sounds quite you know, important. Doctor says don't do it. There's a condition. How can we not follow the doctor's ruling? Well, the fact is that I deal with these cases, and my experience is that most of these cases, most of them, is completely possible to do a bris. And when a bris is done, most of them are corrected by the bris. Yet the doctor was the one who said, do not do the bris because we need to deal with it. And the parents, some of them are frightened to call the oil. And some of them call the oil and say, well, we're delaying the bris because the doctor said, and then we go into a conversation and after the conversation and after back and forth, I give them another doctor's opinion and tell them to contact other professionals in the field and they end up doing it. And this is happening over and over again. Again, it doesn't really limit it to knowledge base. It happens to everyone, from fry. And this is the condition. First of all, the most common condition is when they look at the child and say, oh, there's something wrong here, we have to do surgery. And then when you look at it yourself as a male, you see, He's just chatsi neiled mole. So yeah, he looks different than a regular baby that's born. And if left untouched, it would look different and it's not the same like everyone else. But it's chatsi neiled mole, means that he only has partial foreskin. And when you do the bris, all you have to do is take the part that's left and whatever is not there, you cannot deal with. The end case, the the end result is that it all looks the same. And you would never know that this kid had a condition which is called partial foreskin. So you tell the parents, hey, look, look at the child. Everything is fine. The only thing is that he looks different. It does look different at this point, but once the bris is done. So he's, if you don't do the bris, he's not gemalit. And if you allow them to wait for circumcision in the hospital, months go by. It's a cosmetical thing that once you do the bris, it's not there. So for cosmetical reasons, they're fearful and they're not going to do the bris because they're waiting because the doctor suggested. So it's important to note that just because the doctor said doesn't mean that this mitzvah should be altered and out of fear. There's another case which is a little more serious and that's called hypospedias. I believe there's been a share about this here. Hypospedias? No. Hypospedias is a condition where the the nekev, where he, the child is mashtin, is not exactly in its proper place. It's a little bit lower than where it should usually be. What that causes is that it doesn't go straight. It's a little lower down. A bit different. It's a cosmetical condition, just a little off center. And the doctor says you can't do any circumcision because we have to do surgery. We have to straighten this out. Now, 
there's two points here. Number one, it's only cosmetical. It's just not perfectly in the center. It's a little off the center. And for a cosmetical reason, we're going to delay a bris. Why? And number two, even if you do want to do a cosmetical surgery for whatever reason you want them to feel perfect, you can do that after circumcision as well, after the bris. You don't need to wait and do the surgery without having a bris done. Now, some doctors are very specific and are very harsh, and they come down and say, don't you do the circumcision or else the sur surgery cannot be done. Yeah, there are some doctors that say that. And my advice to parents is find another doctor. Find a, a more skilled doctor that can do the surgery because if he says he cannot do it unless the circumcision is not done, then he's not as skilled as others. And Baruch Hashem, there are many doctors, and we have a network of doctors that we can provide for those who need to be done this surgery, uh, even after a bris is done. And, and some of them are very accommodating. I would tell the parent, you know what, make an appointment, check this doctor out, and he'll tell you. And actually, if he tells you do not do the bris, okay, they have two opinions, but most of the time, I don't remember a time where he said you cannot do it. And again, you could do the bris, a normal bris. Maybe the male has to be a little more you know, experienced in, in this field of, of expertise and a little more training in this. I don't know if you should take a brand new male to do something like this, but the fact is a bris could be done, and there's no reason not to. In addition to the fact that even if you do want to do surgery, it may not be a good idea. Sometimes these surgeries need a follow-up. Sometimes it's not quite perfect afterwards. And for what reason? For it to be perfect? I mean, it's really cosmetical. So you're going to put the child through the trauma of a surgery and perhaps needing a follow-up surgery, and sometimes there's complications that come out for what? There are times where the hypospedias is severe, where the neck is not just a little bit lower, it's all the way down, and it does need surgery. So that is a, a time where, yeah, you may need to wait for the bris and to do it. But that is so rare, it really almost doesn't happen. And if it does, you do have to wait because it's not just a cosmetical. It's a condition that if it's not taken care of, this kid you know, will have an issue, an issue with uh, reproduction and, and an issue with other complications that may occur. So at cases like that, you wait. But don't just take the most common case. Most of them can be done a proper bris, and there's no reason to delay. That is one very important um, challenge to bris that I feel has to be brought to light. In fact, there was a, a years ago an asifa with Rabbi Marlowe signed a letter with many Rabbanim saying that it's also to just take the doctor's advice and delay a bris without consulting a meira a moel who's a mumch in the field. They also put down further because some of the surgeries that they do can actually cause a krushavchot, so suffix krushavchot. We don't need extra surgery. Get a second opinion. Don't just listen to the doctor. This is a letter that I have here signed by Rabbi Marlow and other Rabbanim bringing out the Ashara and the Isser to delay a bris just based on the doctor's advice. So I don't know why. I think this is happening more often. I don't know if it's just because of some conditions, but more and more this condition is coming up. 
and the doctors, either the doctors are more um, happy to do surgery for whatever reason and they're suggesting not to do the bris, but certainly seems to be more prevalent now than it used to be in the past. There's another um, condition that's very uh, challenging. And, and this one perhaps has to do with lack of knowledge, again, as the other one. So the first one, letters are Rabbanim. This is the second challenge that I find today to be very, very severe. Um, and some innocent families fall into this, and it should be brought to light. And the story is that not long ago in Crown Heights, there was a bris done, and I get a phone call saying, wow, beautiful bris, I, somebody just came to do a bris, and there was no bleeding. No bleeding. I said, no bleeding, okay. Uh, that raises an eyebrow, and from, as a mild experience of no bleeding probably means that it was used a clamp. So I said, I suspect it was a clamp used, which is not a kosher method of a bris. Thank God there was a video of that bris, and I showed them clearly that the one who came to do a bris actually used a clamp. And the clamp, what it does is, it crushes the skin. Basically, the skin gets crushed to the point where it's dead skin. And then once it's being removed, you're removing dead skin, and there's no bleeding. Dead skin doesn't bleed. And they were very shocked to find out that the mile that they hired, which was considered to be a mile, an acceptable mile, actually used a clamp, which is a device that's usser. Now, for many reasons, it's usser. But the fact is that using a clamp is not a bris. You're not cutting. You're not, it's a brachal of atala. You're, you're, it's almost like putting on cream that would kill the skin and it will die off. Is that a bris? You have to use an ismal, has to be a bracha, has to be by your shamayim. There is a device that has a hinge that's called a clamp. Now that comes on and clamps the skin. Now if you didn't cut it, it would fall off by itself. Now that bris does not have any bleeding. And there's an Indian that a bris should have dam mila. It's part of mitzvah's mila. In addition to the fact that crushing that skin is, is extremely painful. And, and if you don't trust me, you, can, you know what a vice grip is? It's one of those pliers that gets locked onto a screw. Try to do that here. Take a vice grip and clamp your skin, and you'll know what kind of pain the child goes through when you use a clamp. Now, a clamp is tzayr, it's tsar, it's osr. A clamp is a method that has never been used. We use an ismail, we make a bracha, and it's pull of a hand. This is, you're cutting dead skin, which is not the mitzvah mila. And in addition to the fact, there's also, it seals the skin. It's like a sealer. Do you ever see a plastic that you put into a machine and then suddenly it seals, so no ear goes in, no ear goes. This seal, seals the skin. So there's no bleeding. There's no bleeding, there's no kriya bitsipayden because there's no eira priya. There is no 
mitzitzah because there's no bleeding. You're not mitzitz anything. It's sealed already. It's it's completely finished. So those who don't know and look at it, oh, it's beautiful bris. There's no bleeding and it looks like it's healed afterwards. There's no bandaid needed, but that is not a kosher bris. Period. To the point that Rabbonim came out powerfully against it. The Rabbanut in Israel came out clearly against it, saying that anyone, all Sandiks and all Rabbanim in all all the Poiskim, Lachreina, clearly, clearly against it. And even there's a letter from the Friedrich Rabbi that he writes that a clamp is osur, And using a clamp on Shabbos is Chilul Shabbos. You can't just surgery on Shabbos. You could do a bris on Shabbos, but if this is not a bris, you cannot do that on Shabbos. So using this on Shabbos would be Chil Shabbos. And if you do it in a shul, it's Chil Shabbos Befarhesia. And and he goes even further. I mean this is a study that shows that the clamp actually causes the pain of the clamp is shocking pain to the heart, can cause heart failure. It can cause to the brain, uh, a shock to the brain. And the Friedrich Rebbe clearly writes, and others write it as well. He's not the only one, but I'm just bringing the Friedrich Rebbe that he writes that a bris is intended to be maidich yomim, and a clamp is mikatzer yomov, and it should not be used together. Again, it looks perfect afterwards. This is what he writes. And there is a famous Muslim that used clamps. I'm not arguing with that. And that's the challenge that I'm saying that today we have a challenge that you, some people, very innocent and would like to do the right thing. Just like a non-observant individual um, feels in some cases that, you know, I did circumcision in a hospital. I did a bris. And, and they want to do a bris and they feel that circumcision in a hospital is what they're doing, you know, the day two. But if they were taught and, and educated that a hospital bris circumcision is not a bris, it's before eight days, it's not done properly, they will do it right. And that's the shluchim. The first thing, you know, when they know that somebody in their community is pregnant or possibly has a boy, the window of opportunity is short. You've got to catch them right away and explain to them the importance of doing a bris and, and not doing it in the hospital. But this challenge is that even people who want to do and know the, the right thing of getting a mile and doing it at the eighth day, they're misled by the mild who does a, an improper bris, which is very, very severe. And uh, in Israel, they came out and saying that anyone who does it should be disqualified and, uh, so to speak, lose his license. But there's also a discussion whether the, this child needs dambris after, whether dambris is going to help, whether he needs it or whether he doesn't need it. But the fact is that this is misleading. A mild who uses it is really... Is, is bringing it down his impression he should be removed, he should be disqualified because he's not doing brisson. He's doing a disservice. It's, it's, it's lying to his clients. And further, this, this, uh, this fear of, of you know, the, the pain that's involved is pushing a disservice. If you see some of the videos of those who use clams, I mean, people that come and they see a bris with a child is screeching for, for hours and, and, and he has no more to cry, it's a disservice for Mila. And then they see somebody who looks like he's a mile and he seems to be doing... I get constantly, even yesterday, last night, I got a, a phone call from a shliach. He has a 
community member who's thinking of using somebody who he knows uses a clamp, but he promised him that his clamp is kosher. I told him there's no such thing as a kosher clamp, just like there's no such thing as a kosher pig. I mean, a clamp is a clamp. <laughs> it, it, it crushes the skin. Oh, his clamp is kosher. And he's even musmach from Eretz Yisrael. I said, fine, if, he's, if he has a license from Eretz Yisrael, let him follow the guidelines that he was committed to when he got the smichu is not to use a clamp. I have all the papers. Nobody, in Israel, there's nobody who allows it. And they give you smicha dafke if you don't use it. He comes back into America. He says he's musmach from Echisol and he uses a clamp. That's a crime. Hospitals use clamps. Hospitals use clamps. They don't do brisson. Okay, so first of all, they would like, they, they do have much more complications in myelin. And this is statistically proven that the complications that happen in hospitals are much greater than the complications that happen by myelin. And furthermore, I mean, there's even studies that SIDS or, or other conditions happen more prevalent by hospitals, circumcisions. Um, there's studies that tell you that the children who go through this process are damaged. And there are anti-circumcision movement that tells you why do this trauma to a child. I'm with them. I also say why do this to a child. But that's not what we do as myelin. So the anti-circumcision movement is not really targeting bris because they, they're not talking about the pool of a bris, they're talking about the trauma that a child goes through circumcision, and they ask the question, who says the trauma is worth the medical benefit? That's their question. They say today we have hygiene, and there used to be um, you know, infections that come for those who are not circumcised, and even today there are those who are not circumcised, more prone to infection, but today we're more possible of hygiene, and who said the trauma of a circumcision is worth the benefit? That's their argument. And I'm not arguing with them because that is a legitimate argument. We don't do it like they do it. It's a different kind of bris. It's a different pu'ula. It's a different procedure. And in fact, I've had some medical professionals tell me they would never do to their own son what they do to others. That's the lotion they use. I will not do on my own what I do to others. And they actually use myelin for their own family and friends because they know and even Goyim want to use myelim, which is a different story. We don't, but they know the fact that a myel does it in a much more humane way. And if anyone watches a bris, it's a couple of seconds of discomfort, and the child is fine. He's sucking on the wine, and he's listening to the brachas. Versus try, well, if you try one of those hospital circumcisions, it's horrifying. It's a 15-minute procedure. It's torture. Brunstein is one of those type of clamps. Yes. Any clamp. Clamp is a, is a device that has a hinge that locks on and crushes the skin. Furthermore, there are, there are even muggings without a clamp, without a hinge, that's also usser, and that's if the slit is, is very thin. So it's not mamish a clamp. It doesn't crush the skin, but the fact that it's so thin... In Israel, they came out and they gave you the minimum. It should be at least one millimeter, and maximum in case of a, it needed in a certain in certain conditions, you could use 0.6 of a millimeter. 
but less than that would be usher, according to the Rabbanot of Israel, saying that that is, mimics the procedure of a clamp. Although, again, it's not a clamp, but still, being that thin, it, it would provide what a clamp does. It's again, it's like a male would come out with a certain cream and says, I can do the breast, I put the cream on and the arla falls off. Would that be good? It's the same idea. You know, if you if you put on a cream, everyone would know something is wrong. But if you put on a clamp and you use a knife, which is, the knife is really for nothing. It's like you're cutting on the dotted lines. You know, you could rip it off. But no, no, no. It's, the knife is really, it's, 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 it's fictitious. It's making people think you're doing a proper bris. That's what it looks closer to what a real bris should be like, but those who don't know what to look for may think it's a real bris, but it's really not. And like I'm saying, the, the fact is that until it was brought to the attention, the bris and cronites, everyone thought it was a proper bris. And that's a se- very severe situation, yeah. Yes, um, I'm going to just take a short answer to your question, then we'll go to the third one, which is very important as well. If you just present to them the different optics of what a bris looks like in the proper way and what happens in the hospital, many of them begin to realize and change their mind pretty quickly. And the difference is that here the child is on a pillow, He's being held by a loving family individual, generally probably a grandfather. And he's surrounded in a, by family and friends in a celebration type of environment. And it takes a couple of seconds and literally he's comfortable right thereafter. And there's, he gets a little bit of wine and there's the brachas and the, it's a beautiful event for him, for his family. Mashenkin in a hospital environment, he's taken away from his parents. They don't usually see what's going on. There's generally, it's the first surgery that interns do because nobody's there to say of how it went and nobody's in the room to give any testimony. He's Velcroed to a board and taken to an unfriendly environment. Um, he's put on, it's about a 15 minute procedure of torture. He's put, there's a clamp that goes on, which is extremely painful and traumatic for the child. His parents are not there. A bunch of interns, they sometimes cut once, cut twice to try to get it right. There's nobody there to assist him, to help him, or to be with him. And then after a half hour where he's exhausted and he's sleeping, he's brought back to his parents, quiet. And everyone seems happy. What would you really want? Just not to know what happened and torture your child or to be right in front of him. I mean, the most scrutinized practice is Mila. I mean, you're within arm's distance of the parents. <laughs> you know, if there's anything that goes slightly wrong, I mean, you know, you're right there. If you don't do a flawless job, you're out of business. There's no, there's no, you can't hide anything. And today, with all the cell phones, I mean, it's even more uh, scrutinized. 
So, I mean, just put the two together and tell them. And anyway, this is a mitzvah, and you're Jewish, and you want the bris because you're Jewish, because you want the blessings that come with it, the covenant, versus the kid needs surgery. What does he need surgery for? He's fine. He's healthy. So you want a bris. This is a bris, and that's not. So now is the third thing that you are going to allow me to speak about, and that is another challenge in today's environment more than ever before, and that is Metzitzah Bepeh. You know, some of you asked even before we started, so I will try to elaborate as much as I can in the time that's given. And I do want to say that what Metzitzah Bepeh has caused is, in most cases, for parents to be extremely fearful, even families that are completely observant and want to do the right thing and are okay with doing mitzitzah if this is part of the bris, but they are very fearful that their kid's going to die because the mile is doing something that causes babies to die. That's what the media says, and they're very fearful. They're, the Messias Nefesh, and there's another element to Messias Nefesh that the bris suddenly occurs, and that is mitzitzah such a traumatic uh, dangerous act, but we're going to do it anyway because this is what we are here for, and we pray that everything goes well. I mean, really, mothers are extremely fearful. They're extremely fearful about Mitzitzah to the fact that even some of our own start questioning whether it should be done, or perhaps we could put that aside. And you know, as much time as Amoyel has, he, as part of his job is now to explain what is Mitzitzah the safety points of Mitzitzah put the fear aside until you get the parents to agree full-heartedly that it's okay for you to do it because it's not as they thought it was and it's not what they read it was. And, and, and the thing is like this. There's no question that for thousands of years, this is the way a bris was done. Mila, Priya, and Metzitzah. There's no dispute. It's not like a minig that started in later years or something. In fact, there's a medrash that says that Moshe Mal, Yeshua is Perea, and Aaron was Moitzitz. So this is the way Mila was done undisputedly for thousands of years. Now, as I mentioned, you could challenge bris, and then you'll have everyone stand up and say, no, this is who we are. We're never going to let this go. Or you can start saying, hey, you know what? Let's not challenge bris directly. Let's start challenging some components of bris. Now, there's no Muslims to help us on that. And some people also feel, oh, maybe you know, bris will be good if, if certain parts are not there. So it started with the in scholar movement, they feel that you know, Yiddishkeit has to advance and develop, and what was done in the past uh, is good for them, but now we, we're moving up a little bit, which is the same as the reform. We have to reform our actions to fit society. And today, we know so much more about bacteria and virus. Who knew about that in the past? So therefore, how could you do something like Metzitzah Bepeh Rambam probably never knew. If, if the Rambam knew about bacteria and virus, he would never allow Metzitzah 
is the argument that I get from some people who seem to be knowledgeable and, and you know, and, and observant, you know, just the Rambam writes about it, but he, we, we now know a lot more. So, sounds like, you know, again, if the Rambam knew what he knows, which is about bacteria and virus, they would never allow it. So this, you know, started creeping into, must be a, a lot of cases where their kids are being affected and then bacterial infection and viral infection. And therefore, we have to alter it or ban it or do it some other way. In fact, in New York, 2002, they came out with a mandatory reporting that if a child after a bris has herpes, neonatal herpes, it has to be reported to the government. So initially, before that, there are those who claim that in the Jewish community, there are dozens of deaths because of metzitzah bepeh, and it's just all shoved under the carpet. Nobody knows about it. So therefore, they came out with a mandatory reporting. You have to, if there's a kid, child comes to a hospital or a doctor with any type of infection in the breast area, he must report it. And there's, so then that will prove that there's so many deaths going on. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Now, neonatal herpes is, is a natural thing. Neonatal herpes, girls get it, and uncircumcised boys get it. It happens to be that some circumcised boys also get it. So when a boy gets it, a Jewish boy is circumcised, it's the male for sure. When a girl gets it, natural. It's probably, it could be the mother. In fact, about 90% of neonatal herpes comes from the mother at the time of birth. Then there's other caregivers, whether it's a nurse who changes the diaper and she has herpes, or family members. So that is attributed, it's, it's all documented. That's attributed to any neonatal herpes that comes to a girl, to a non-circumcised. But if there's a Jewish boy that had herpes for whatever reason, it's the male and it's metzitzabapah. Now, do we know if the male has herpes? We don't know. We don't even know who the male is, but the male was the cause of the herpes. And it's, we have to catch him and we have to make him ban it. So when they came out in 2011, they came out with a regulation. It happened to have been that a child passed away from herpes. Again, Goyim passed away and girls passed away since 2006 to 2011. There was uh, many cases of those who passed away naturally, meaning because of herpes, and there was no question that the male was involved because there was no male there. Happened to have been 2011, a child passed away. So they found an opportunity. Now we're going to regulate Mila, and we're going to say that it's also to do mitzitzah unless there's a consent form signed by the parents that they know that this practice is dangerous and deadly. And they know that the government suggested not to be done, and still we're willing to do it. Basically, the parents are putting the child in harm's way, and you sign that paper, and you have to keep the paper for one year. And that is the only way a male could do mitzitzah So as a male, and somebody who does brisson and concern, you know, we know that if there's the slightest condition of jaundice, we delay a bris, and if there's any other concerns, you know, nefeshachas, you don't do a bris, you could always do a bris later. So what is this? Is this real or it's not real? Is there, is there a concern or there is no concern? So we started looking into this, you know, question, and it became quite clear there's absolutely no evidence 
that a mile caused anything. And there were epidemiologists that took all the cases that they alleged to have been possibly through a mile, and one by one they started proving that there's no evidence whether the time the child got herpes cannot have come from the Mila. All the evidence that they tried to allege happened was one by one proven that it was not the mile. And then they actually came out to say that it's Osir and a, a lawsuit started, challenging the city and saying, listen, you can't just ban a religious practice. Prove us, show us the evidence. Show the evidence that there is a connection between the moil and the child herpes. If there is an evidence and there is a connection, we have to address it. We're not here. And as part of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, we clearly said we are willing to cooperate with the city. We are willing to, every case that so you allege there's herpes and it's the mile, we'll test the mile, we'll test the child, and we'll see if there's a match, a DNA match of the herpes. We'll know if it's the mile, we know we have to address it. He'll be banned, we'll know that something has to be done. But if it's not, you cannot just blame the mile. In fact, there were DNA testing that was done two cases that they blamed the mile, and DNA testing showed that it, was, it could not have been the mile. In two cases that they took the DNA testing, it showed that it could not have been the mile. And we were presenting to the city, show us. So thank God we're living in a place where there is freedom of religion. Freedom of religion doesn't mean that you could harm a child in the name of religion. It just means that if they want to regulate religion, they have to do it with strict scrutiny. They have to actually show real harm and that they're regulating the harm. There's something called rational basis. You're allowed to make rules that are rational. And rational basis applies to, to business and to other industries that if the government feels that a restaurant needs a washing station, you can't open a restaurant unless you have a washing station. But they cannot regulate a religion until they have strict scrutiny. They show harm. And we were saying, hey, show us the harm came to a point where, the, actually just to make it a little on the short end of things here, that there was no evidence, there's never to date any case of DNA linking a moil to metzitzabapa. In fact, there's studies that show that Listerine kills viral and bacterial. And if, you, if an individual washes his mouth, if a moil washes his mouth with Listerine, even if he is a carrier, it kills the virus, and you cannot transmit after that. And it's been proven that Milam do take the precaution. They wash their mouths. If anyone is not taking the precaution, it's the caregivers, it's the home, but the Milam take the proper precaution. In fact, it doesn't make sense because if they claim the mouth as the source, they've never had an incident of bacterial virus that they're even blaming Milam. A mouth is full of bacteria and a mouth is also a source of virus transmission. So how could that be that they don't even allege that there's any bacterial connection between a moil and a bris? They have no cases that they can prove that any infection came because of the moil, but virus, yes. So bacteria decided not to be transmitted, but viral decided to be transmitted. Even that doesn't make sense. But the fact is that moilim take the precaution, and we wash or take the proper care, and 
it's never been proven until the city rescinded its regulation. So today there is no regulation um, and the Mayalim are more careful. And as I mentioned before, Mayalim have a greater success rate with all the mitzitza. And in fact, in Israel, with the numbers of brisson that they do, there's far less herpes. And, and Mayalim do their a year 80,000 brisson. Even if you want to say half our mitzitza directly, there is no cases of herpes that they have to say that there's a significant number to prove that Mayalim are the source. In Crown Heights, we all do mitzitza bepeh. Never ever been a case where the child has been infected. So this is just a libelous attack on Mayalim. This is an attack on religion. This is a way to instill fear. This is a way to divert and try to alter the practice. The, free, the, the Rebbe Rashab has a letter clearly saying that the Masoida should not be changed of a bris. It's never been any proof of harm. It's always been successful. Kola Mishana, anyone who wants to, for whatever reason, even a lachic reason, to change the Masoida, Yodela Tachtoini has to prove that there's a good reason and harm and reason to change, and that has not happened. And like the, and like the Rebbe Rashab writes, that if anyone, Yoyde Mitzvah, Layoyde Davara, has never come a case of any moil causing any transmission, a moil that's careful and does the right thing. And there's a, from the Rebbe, it's very clear that a tube, a pipette, should absolutely not be used on anash. Even if there are tatum in some cases for others, it should not be used for anash. So with these three things, I would like to enter that you are the Maida Haira for the future. This is a Kailal for Haira. At least know these three things. Do not allow a bris to be delayed just because some doctor with no experience says don't do it. And if you know anyone, please have them educate them. Realize that there are some people that are parading as if they're myelin, but they're actually not. They're causing more harm than good. They're not doing any bris in period. That's those who use a clamp. And know that metzitzipepe is safe as safe as the bris is safe. In fact, there are some people who say, don't do mitzitza bepeh. That's the only thing they know. And I say to yourself, you know how much complications a bris is? You, what are you talking about mitzitza bepeh where there's never been any proof of harm? There are other things that could be, you know, the only thing they're worried about is what the media says, that myelin kill babies because of mitzitza bepeh. That is debunked. Follow the science. It's fake news, those who claim that there's a problem. And I wish you guys a lot of atzlach. If there's any questions, I'm here. What?